This is the St. Louis Podcast Network. You're listening to the Last Man Up Podcast, part of the St. Louis Podcast Network, stlpodcast.com. Matt Berger, Clay Byers-Dorford, Andy Hanselman alongside. Wherever you are listening to us, whenever you are listening to us, we hope you are well. It is the Sunday before Labor Day, and we are here laboring for you, our beloved audience. Oh, yeah. Came, we don't, a, no, came we, out on a freaking weekend for you all. We are doing more labor here than the maternity ward of your local hospital. Oh, my goodness gracious. There yes. we go. Now, usually we take holiday weeks off, but we because do. of the magnitude of what we have going on, the start of the college football season, the start of the NFL season, we have two huge guests for you, and we wanted to work. And we wanted to work. And We're not out barbecuing, and we are going to hold these Cardinals <laughs> accountable because they lost their first series in 12, and I'm tired of it. It is time to fire Mike Schilt. I'm fire the, I'm Schilt. Gonna be, I'm going to be the first one to start the campaign to Get fire Mike Schilt. I am tired of this Schilt. No, I, I do want to talk about the Mike Schilt, the removing of his interim tag. Yeah. This organization just loves to fall in love. They they do. I mean, like, look. He's the Bo Hart of they're, managers. They're baseball hopeless romantics. They, they the Rex really Hubler are. of managers. Yeah. I'm not saying I am 100% dead set against hiring Mike Schilt full-time mm. as a manager. And what they did, they just removed the interim tag for the rest of this year, and they signed him to a two-year contract. So he's going to be the manager at least until 2020. But I'm telling you right now, save this podcast, save my words. If by if that team, if the Cardinals are in first place by the All-Star break next year, he's getting a three-year extension. Oh, for guarantee sure. Guarantee it. For sure. I guarantee it. No, yeah. Have to. I mean, this they didn't do like any kind of real search. They just like, okay, We've we've seen thirty some odd games and we've seen enough. He's our guy, and they they said that they. I mean, I want to say that Mosaic said they even like they, they talked to Okendo. they talked they talked. Well, okay, Okendo said he didn't want to right. do it, and look. No one was looking to hire Jose Okendo as a manager. Right. You never hear his name rumored to be attached to any other team that it. has a managerial vacancy. So I don't understand it. I don't get it either. And then the whole thing with Mike Schilt, I heard uh, Dan McLaughlin and Ricky Horton say this. I think it was on the Tuesday or Wednesday broadcast whenever they had made the announcement that Mike Schilt was going to be the new manager. And Danny goes, well, what happens if another team hires away Mike Schilt? Then they hire away Mike Schilt. It's not I the mean, end of the world. It's not the end of the world. This is the St. Louis Cardinals we're talking about here. I mean, yeah. they would find someone else to manage this team. There's going to be people lining up outside of Bush Stadium to, to be the manager for this organization. Candidate one, Matt Berger. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it cheaper than they're, they're paying for Mike Schilt. Right? I guarantee it. And I, I think that's part of the reason why they like Mike Schilt, too. I was going to say, that's probably... It's because they know they don't have to invest right. a lot. Like, Joe Girardi would be a lot of money. Yeah. Joe Girardi would be a lot of money. If Mike Sosha is available for mm-hmm. them, too, and if he still wants to manage, manage Mike Sosha would be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I think they wanted it to go cheap. These Cardinals are cheap. <laughs> Bo and DeWallet, and they don't, they don't want to hire a multimillion-dollar-a-year manager. And look, it's, it's hard to argue against the job that Mike Schilt has done, mm-hmm. but he's only been doing it for 30-some-odd games. I think they've been talking, they were talking about the, the experience in the minor leagues as well. Okay, great. I think – and I – you seem very upset about it. I, I, I'm, I'm not upset by it as much as I'm just puzzled by it. I think for them, at the end of the day, I look at it as like it's not a ter- it's not a terrible decision by enemy. It's very low risk situation. Extremely low risk. The last couple of years, the last two three years, you had a, uh, a manager in Mike Pantini who was not reaching the players who like seem like rumor after rumor came out about how the clubhouse culture sucked. You know, the young guys weren't responding to Matheny. The old guys didn't even want to hang out with him. 
And now you have this guy, this new fresh voice. The team seems to be responding. God forbid they just lost to the, the series to the Reds, so I mean, everything's going that to is, shit. That but. is <laughs> that is going to happen. Right. I mean, they, they, they are going to go through their adversity. Sure. And I, I believe it was uh, Ken Rosenthal uh, even brought this up. Uh, like, you know, he's never really gone through any real adversity. Let's see how he handles that. If you want to call losing two out of three real adversity, I guess we'll see how they'll respond tomorrow when they start the series against the, the Washington Nationals. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, like I said, I'm not saying, like, this is a bad move or a bad hire, right. but God damn it, man. You can't wait until the season's over and do a thorough process. Mike Schilt really wasn't going to go anywhere. And if he gets hired by another team, voyo con Dios, man. We'll find someone else. We will yeah. go on. If worst-case scenario, if Mike Schilt gets hired by another team and you don't like – like you you bring in Joe Girardi and he's not who you expect. You bring in Carlos Beltran and Carlos Beltran doesn't you, – you think that he's not going to be experienced enough or that you don't think he can handle it. Then you bring up Stubby Clap and Stubby Clap manages the team and tell you what, beef yeah. it would go crazy for that too. So I, I, I'm just – He is – Clay was 100% right. But that it's a it's a very low risk and a very high reward possibility. Absolutely, and that, that's yeah. what the Cardinals are known for: low and, risk, high reward. And it's a, it's one less thing they have to do in the off season because I think John Mozeliak is fully aware that yes, the team is playing incredibly well right now. Um, you know, now you have a manager in place. Now you go into this off season and you address the roster where you need to fill it, as opposed to no, we know we have not the best roster. You know, compared to you know other amazing teams within baseball and on top of that you have a managerial search those things affect each other a lot you know so sure, yeah, when you cause... get when you get stability in the manager position you know the front office says okay we're good on the bench now let's go out and find the right guys because you're wanting the manager to have his input in exactly. on, on the players because he's going to be managing exactly. them. so you're, you're one you're going to want his input i exactly. get that um yeah the, the cardinals they have a lot of questions as far as far as pitching goes what are they? I mean, like Adam Wainwright. Thankfully, his his contract is done at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. If they even think about bringing him back for another year or two, I think they're out of their mind. I think. Oh Mike, God, please no. No, he's done. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, good, I mean, he, yeah, have your goodbye tour. Everybody, like, look. Just because I'm saying Adam Wainwright is done, it doesn't mean that I want to see him hanging no, from his neck all. from the Stan Musial Bridge. No, I'm just saying I don't want to see him pitching for the Cardinals anymore. No. He's going to be a Cardinal Hall of Famer. He's never got to worry about buying another meal or a drink in St. Louis no. ever again. Yep. He's got more money than he could ever spend. Don't feel bad for Adam Wainwright. Michael Walker, he's got to go too. I think the Michael Walker experiment is done. He cannot stay healthy. He's a great pitcher when he is healthy. Yep, yep. He can never stay healthy. I think he's done. I, I mean, as much as I like Carlos Martinez, I think Carlos Martinez is trade bait too. I think he's gone. Yeah. If he's still if he's still with the Cardinals next year, I will be really surprised. I don't know if I'll be necessarily surprised, but it's funny that you mentioned that, especially after you know the report about the whole strip club thing came out this week and. I mean, granted, this has been going on for, what, three or four years? Like, well, I didn't hear about this. It was from 2014. I didn't hear about this. So the video came out. You know, you see Carlos Martinez punch a guy. You see Mar- Marcelo Ozuna, who was a Miami Marlin at the time, punch a guy in the face. Like, clear as day. Um, and it's just, you kind of wonder, you know, we've been asking for years, like, when, when Carlos is going to take that next step and become that ace elite. And now you have, you know, guys like Jack Flaherty doing very well, Austin Gomber, Daniel Ponce de Leon. It's like you got Reyes coming off. You have his a ton of young too. talent. Yes. So at that, at, and you, you still know, got Miles Mikolas. Exactly. Too. From a front office standpoint, you absolutely look and decide is Carlos Martinez actually benefiting our team in any way? This team, if this team has anything, it's starting pitching. This it's team a ple- has a so much of depth. This team has so much starting pitching, and you're also looking at the outfield too. And the outfield's going to start getting kind of crowded. Yep. You have Marcelo Zuna under contract next year. You have Dexter Fowler under contract. Trade next year. 
well, Dexter Fowler has a no trade clause, so you're going to find a team that for some reason is absolutely mad, madly in love with Dexter Fowler. And wants good to luck pay that money. And wants to pay that money. So good luck with that. The DFA is ass. <laughs> well, then you, then you still got to pay the money. Pay the money. Get them up. There was because there was I, there has absolutely been addition addition by subtraction since he went on the DL. Oh, with this, with this, with this ball club, there's no questioning that. I, to me, I just don't think they'll walk. It's not like a Greg Holland situation where okay, it's like a one year deal and you eat that. Yeah, Dexter Fowler, like he's you signed him for a couple of years. Like he's got three get, more. He's got three I, more years left on the contract. Squeeze, I was being slightly facetious. <laughs> okay, about, you have to squeeze about every ounce of ketchup out of him. If, if, if they DFA him, I will be stunned. It would, it would be, I would be stunned, yeah. Yeah. especially considering that. The whole the whole dust up between him and John Mozalak, and apparently those fences have been mended, and also with Bill DeWitt Jr. too, the the uh, the owner of the team. Apparently they they had like a big love fest over you know after Mike Matheny was fired. So if they all of a sudden decided, yeah, you know what, Dexter Fowler, get the bleep out of here, I would be really surprised yeah. if that happens. Um, but you have Dexter Fowler, you have Marcelo Zuna, you have Harrison Bader, you have Tyler O'Neill, and you have uh, Jose Martinez. Mm-hmm. So those are five outfielders for three, for three spots. You're really only going to want to have four. So one of them is probably going to go. As much as I love Jose Martinez, I have a feeling it's probably going to be him because he is terrible in the outfield. Terrible. Terrible in the outfield. He's terrible at first base. He really belongs mm-hmm. in the American League to be mm-hmm. a DH. I was stunned that they kept him at the trading deadline. If I have a feeling, he's probably gone as well. It wouldn't surprise me if if both Martinez's were on another teams, uh, you know, yes. other teams next year. I think there is definitely going to be some culture shock though, because you know the fans love Jose Martinez uh, as much as you know you want to say about you know his defensive inability. But, sure, you love but, Jose Martinez for what he is and what he's done because you take away his offensive performance the last two years, it's like man, this Cardinal ship could have been completely you're, you're absolutely right but i have a feeling that if jose martinez if he ends up going to like the minnesota twins mm-hmm. and he's a starting dh i have a feeling the cardinal fans will be like well you we're happy yeah, if we're happy absolutely. for jose he's playing every day absolutely it'll make doing s- what he does it'll make sense on on paper for sure but absolutely. There, there will be that culture shock because I, I mean you're already seeing it from these young guys that are coming up and we've gotten a lot you know, a rid of a, a lot of guys that have been here for a couple of years, whether it's, you know, DFA or, you know, we traded like to, you know, to Ivala or whatever. Well, like I said, that, that to me, that goes back to this organization falling in love. They fell in love yep. with Randall Gritchick and he's gone. They fell in love with Steven Piscotti. He's gone. They fell in love with Carlos Martinez. We're all kind of three in agreement that he is. What would you say? Like, 75% probably gone, likelihood that he's going to be gone. Would you go that know, high? I don't know if I'd put it that. To me, it's a it's a coin flip because it wouldn't surprise me either way. It wouldn't shock me because Carlos has a very team-friendly contract. He still mm-hmm. has a few more yep, years left on it. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. He still has a few more years left on it. It wouldn't shock me because Nolan Arenado has told the Colorado Rockies that he really does not want to stay there. Right. It wouldn't shock me if the Cardinals rolled the dice and packaged Carlos Martinez and a few other players and shipped him to Colorado and tried to get – uh, uh, Nolan Arenado, who I think would fall in love playing here. Like Nolan Arenado doesn't even have like a Twitter account. Like you know, I'm always, I'm always. <laughs> those are the guys you want in St. Louis. Exactly. Honestly, God, those <laughs> seriously, those are the guys that you want. You you want the guys who who care about nothing other than playing baseball. Right. That's it. That's the only thing they want to do. They don't care about their brand. They don't care about social media. They don't care about the nightlife. They don't yep. care about the boogie. They don't care about any of that. They just want to go to base. They just want to go to the, go to work, do their job, and then come home and drive relax. Home, drive home to Clayton. Drive Dr- home to Ladue. Yeah, drive home to Ladue. <laughs> And hook up with their, you know, St. Louis tenant they picked up at the wheelhouse, right? And and be and be happy and God bless them. I wish I wish that right. was my Hat, life. Hats off to you. <laughs> and other 
another thing that wouldn't completely necessarily shock me, it, it might this might generate a hot take machine alert, um, but Carlos Martinez being moved into another position as opposed to being a starting pitcher, maybe they move him back into the bullpen. We're seeing that, you know, that's the plan with him going to be moving forward. Yeah. But it would not shock me if he lights it up at the end of the year, they decide, okay, Carlos Martinez and Jordan Hicks are your eighth and ninth inning for the next two, three years. So you make Jordan Hicks the eighth and then Carlos however, is the closer? However, however you dice it up, it wouldn't surprise me by any means. I'd, but be, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised. I would be surprised. It's not a bad idea. I, it, it, Let me just I, kind of brainstorming yeah. it. It's not a bad idea. But the 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 mental toll it would take on, on C-Mart, I, I think, would be Just considering that he huge. went from the bullpen I, to a starter and then he was supposed to be the next day after Adam Wainwright was going to go you know, out to pasture, mm-hmm. and then Carlos Martinez was going to be the one who's going to take over as, as you know, the number one guy right. in rotation. Now that doesn't look like that's going to happen. I mean, if I had to guess, it's going to be Jack Flaherty. It wouldn't surprise me him being okay with being the best closer in the National League, though. Yeah, it, it, it depends <laughs> on how, like, a lot of these times, these pitchers, man, they, they all want to start. Yeah. It's like actors, man. They all want to direct. Yeah. They don't want to be – they want to be behind the camera. They want to be in control. Um, I mean – I understand why he's in the bullpen now, but you watched that game today with Luke Weaver on the bump, and Luke Weaver looked terrible. It's, it's tough. And then you're like, oh, yeah, you, and then they bring in Carlos Martinez replacing <laughs> Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why, is, was Luke Weaver even start- yeah, why was Luke Weaver even starting to begin with? Right. Um, but I don't want anybody to think that I'm hating on Mike Schilt. I do not hate the guy. I'm just – Puzzled by the move is what it is. You question everything about the Cardinals. I I mean, I do because (laughs) I I mean it's pretty fair to do the past three years. It it is incredibly fair. Anyone who says otherwise hasn't been watching the tape. And it it seems like a lot of times they kind of do fall in love easy. They're that friend of yours that you know goes on one date with a girl, and Mm. next thing you know, you look at their Facebook. Oh, I think she's the one. (laughs) You look at their Facebook status as in a relationship with blah blah blah. It's like, dude, you went on one date. You Cardinals know, you, are a you're, one. You're ready to marry this girl already. Cardinals are a one date machine. They are. They they go out of the girl one time, and next thing you know, they're you know they're on Shanko.com looking at rings. It's like, what are you doing? It's tough. Now you have a friend in the diamond man. <laughs> yeah. I've always heard that guy was actually fake. That there's no such thing as the, whatever that uh, Thomas Shane is. That what his name yeah, is? Yeah, Tom Shane. Tom Shane. That well, Tom he's a, Shane with the Shane company. That he's actually a character. Oh, I believe it. Like I think he just maintains a dry personality. Because I mean, there's chain companies all over the country. There it's are. A, it's a big. It's a huge chain. I, like, I want to. Jared. I think, I think Joe De Niro told me that. I would. I think that's probably true. I and would. Joe De Niro would not lie to me. I voted for him for president. <laughs> yeah. Why would Joe De Niro lie to me? Kind of like uh, Simon Archer is uh, John uh, John O'Hurley, the guy who was on uh, Sein- he was Elaine's boss on Seinfeld. Yeah. Mr. Peterman. Mr. Peterman. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's Simon Archer on the on the Arch. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I was, first, I know, I know uh, who you were talking about. He's at first. Uh, Archer. He's uh, he's like three. Like, no, you're you're thinking of H. John Benjamin. That's who I'm thinking of. You're thinking of him. Yep. He's Archer. He, he's like three different like, main characters. He's Bob and Bob's, Bob's Burgers, Burgers, and then he's Carl the uh, the, uh, the uh, convenience store guy and, and Family, family guy. guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Bob's Burgers is probably the funniest show you guys aren't watching. Bob's Burgers I, is hysterically funny. I'm a, I'm a funny. big fan of Bob's Burgers. Every time I watch Bob's Burgers, I laugh out loud hard at least three times. Tina, um, the the girl. Kills me. They had one on Friday night. It was the one where Gene was like, I'm going to end up looking like my dad anyway, so I might as well start looking at him I now. Saw that. So that he one. shaved like a bald spot yes. in his head, like the back of his head, and gave him a push brew mustache <laughs> and was even talking nice. and was even talking like his dad. He would call his he would call his mom and said to mom he was calling her Linda or Lynn. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah, it was hysterically funny. I was laughing out loud. Bob's Burgers, the best show on TV you are not watching. We were watching. Uh, we started watching Ozark. 
Oh, did you start season second two. season? I was going to yeah. start binge-watching season two tomorrow because I'm I one of those losers who's got nothing to do during the holiday. I, I haven't finished uh, season one yet. I can't remember what distracted oh. me from season one. Season one is fantastic. Yeah. and Oh. So no spoiler alerts. No. No spoilers. The only thing I have about that show that I don't like is they make everybody from Missouri look like they're a bunch of meth heads. <laughs> have you been to Lake of the Ozarks? I have been, but not everybody there is like that. Everybody well, from St. Louis are, goes The people who are from there. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's the Ozarks. You yeah. learn you learn more about so what what struck me like the very first episode I think he spits off this random fact like right when he gets captured or whatever like mm-hmm. taken uh to the the mob boss's place terrible with names butchering this right now Tell. um but he was talking talking to him about the like moving the operation to the Ozarks he's like yeah there's most there there's more coastal front property here than in the state of California there is which blows my mind yeah that blows that's, my that's mind that's really true. Like, I've been to the Lake of the Ozarks a billion times and never would have thought, like, oh, All wow. those nooks and crannies with all those little uh, coves. Yeah. yeah. Then, like, then you can you, 100% deal drugs and mo- launder money out of that. And then when you look at the Lake of the Ozarks, like, from a map, from a, from a topographical standpoint, yeah. you're like, it looks more like a river than it does a lake. Like, when you think of a lake, you think of, like, the Great Salt Lake or one of the Great Lakes. It's or, not like Lake Michigan where you no. go and you see it and it's just you look out onto blue for 100 miles. And it's it, like, if you didn't know any better, you would right. swear you're on the coast of an ocean. Right. Right. Yeah. Lake of the Ozarks. Lake of the Ozarks is not like that. You see some guy across the way, like, naked, standing <laughs> on his dock, like, jumping into his pontoon with his 18 Pro- kids. Probably uh, probably doing meth while he's laundering exactly. money. You know, uh, back in the 70s, um, Amron wanted to dam the Merrimack uh, kind of around Steelville. So it would have created a lake like that even closer to St. Louis. That would have been Steelville's a actually kind of pretty. Yeah. No, that whole area is pretty. The whole area. Same is, thing happened. If you, with, if you go there in the fall, when you start getting into like, in the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. Oh, yeah. And it's very hilly. You, you get there in the fall with the foliage, it's amazing. It really is. Yeah, it's very, very pretty. Uh, but, I mean, the same thing happened with, like, Table Rock. I mean, those were all just dams that, that were built by Amron to generate power. Yeah, absolutely. So, Table Rock's a beautiful lake. Beautiful. In terms of in terms of actual lake, I'll take Table Rock over the Lake of those. Absolutely, I have not been to Table Rock since it's, I was a kid. The problem I, is, there's nothing to do on Table Rock. There's nothing to do. Uh, there's no party cove at Table Rock. We'll see. You there's like, no <laughs> restaurants on that no. you can go pull up to. It's for the retirees. Yeah, and their I families. Have, I have not been to the Lake of the Ozarks in a few years. The last time was for a buddy's bachelor party. We went and down this year. We we rented a pontoon boat. Yep. And then we went to Party Cove, and we tied our boat to another pontoon boat with a bunch of girls from the University of Quincy who were there celebrating somebody's 21st well, birthday. And then a boat that tied, like, that was to the left, and then the boat that tied up to us on the right was a bachelorette party. So, oh, wow. So, yeah. That, we, day, uh, <laughs> that day really sucked for you. That day was not bad. That day was actually a lot of fun. You, you guys did okay. We did We did all right. <laughs> And then it was like, hey, are you guys going to go to uh, Shady Gators when this is over? It's like, yeah, our, yes, co- our, yeah, yeah, our, our condo is yeah, right. Absolutely. Our con- the, condo yes, we are. the condo we're renting is right next no, to Shady Gators, so we our, will see you our there. Our condo is on the other side of the lake, but yeah, we'll 100% be oh, there. Oh, no, but I mean, it was. Our condo was right next to Shady Gators. That's well, a very similar story this year. Um, I rented a pontoon boat and took my wife and mother-in-law to the other side of the Grand Glaze Army and went swimming. There you go. Burger, <laughs> burger story was way mine was, more mine was, mine was a little more fun, but I burger, didn't have a, Burger story aroused me. Yours was anti-boner material. <laughs> right, anti-boner. That's, that's anti-boner. Sunk, sunk it right into the and ground. And we're dead. It was, it was supposed, there was supposed to be some, some comedy value in that. I guess there wasn't. <laughs> that's kind of one of those things where you don't want to go with your wife and your mother-in-law's party. You boat. go down to Lego Ozarks, much like you go to Vegas. That's what I was thinking. Like, it's you like, do shit that you don't do anywhere else in the world, and you don't talk about it once correct. you leave said location. Correct. What yeah. happens to the Ozarks stays in the Ozarks. Including you swimming with your mother. 
Had a good time. Hey, <laughs> as long as you had fun, Andy, that's all that matters. I, I really, it was very relaxing. <laughs> Look, what what was that line in forty year old version? It's okay, Andy. Not everybody can be pussy magnets. Is <laughs> <laughs> so you putting the pussy on a pedestal? Yeah. Oh yeah, putting the pussy on the pedestal. What does that mean? What does yeah. that even mean? <laughs> Actually, my favorite line is like, "What are you like? 25, 26? <laughs> no, I'm, I, no, I'm for. Oh, you got to get on that <laughs> you man. Gotta get on that. <laughs> you got to get on that man. Uh, that's an un, that's one of my favorite comedies. Is the forty year old version? It's a very oh, it's underrated movie. Very underrated. You got Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, um, Elizabeth Banks, who I, plays the. The uh, the bookstore the clerk. floozy girl yeah. yeah I mean just so much uh, I mean Jonah Hill's in that movie for, like for two seconds yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're like oh my god that's Jonah Hill yeah. I think, was, that his, was that his first movie yeah uh, one of his first yeah yeah he was still it's back when he was like chubby and young and fat yeah you know who else is in that movie you didn't know it at the time and when I tell you, you're gonna be like oh okay that makes sense you're gonna go back and watch you're gonna be like yep there she is Stormy Daniels is in that movie where at. Oh, and she's in the pornos. She's in the porno scenes. <laughs> oh, really? Stormy, Where they lock him in there? Yeah, it's Stormy uh, Daniels. I think it was also Kevin Hart's first movie. Yes, because he, he plays one of the. Uh, he plays the he, customer. He plays he one of the customers. Angry, he's what's, the, uh, what's that guy's name? I know who you're talking. It's the, like the bald guy. Yeah, he's one of the main characters. He was in Weeds too. I can't what think of his name. He's in. Um, oh, Andy, you're, ba- supposed to, you're, you're supposed to be looking this he's, up. Uh, he's with. He's in uh, Baby Mama with uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. He plays the front door guy. I don't yeah. know if you've seen that one, but he's pretty funny in that too. It, well, he was great in Weeds too. Yeah, he, was, he played Conrad in Weeds, and then I saw um, a promo. I was watching. The one of the football games last night, and they they're you know they're showing all the promos for the fall shows, and it was like a million reasons or a million pieces. Romney Malco, that's it. Yeah, Romney Malco. I would have not guessed. That. I, I knew it was it was an unusual name, like something you haven't heard before. What yeah. is Elizabeth Banks's story? She is. Uh, well, she, I mean, she directs and writes. That, no, she does. Oh, she's crazy talented. Yeah, but that Romney Malco, he's in a, a new show. It's like this guy. Commit suicide. It's Ron Livingston. I think Ron Livingston commits suicide, and it's oh. kind of like how it affects his friends. And he kind of like is a ghost or he's not a ghost. I was kind of confused by what it. network is this on? On ABC. It looks like it's like I think everybody's mm. trying to capitalize on that. This is us kind of uh, audience where it's oh, going to be a serious thing. Yeah, like oh. it's going to be kind of like one of those dramedies where right. you're going to be laughing one minute and then crying, and crying the, next. the next. And like this is us. I've never seen one episode. Oh. I'm I'm not criticizing the show, but like. And people on Facebook love that show, and they're like, "I can't believe how hard I'm like I'm crying so hard." Why? I'm like, "Why are you watching something that's going to make you cry?" I don't get it. See the thing of it. So I was a big naysayer. I won't say naysayer, but uh, when I was living in Chicago, um, the girls in my office they love this is us. They would talk about it all the time. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and watch it. And the first couple of episodes, I was like, all right. But then towards the end of the first season, I was like, crap, this is really, really sad stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. buckle up. I, I, I couldn't even tell you what the show was about. Like, it's, I know who's in it. Like, Sterling K. Brown's yeah. in it and Manny Moore's in it. And I understand it's very popular. I'm not saying it's a terrible show. Yeah. I'm just saying that I don't like to be sad, mm-hmm. so I don't like watching things that'll make me sad. Right. Like, it being like people on Facebook, if all you could do is post videos and stories of kids and animals being killed or tortured or whatever, I, I start unfollowing you. I'm like, I don't need this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, like what, what good does telling everybody about this horrendous story do? That's true. It's kind of like how I felt when I started watching Shameless, like the very first season, I got through it, and I was like, you know, every episode, I was like, there's no way this family like could too. get any worse, or yep. like the situation could go that poorly. That's kind of how I felt with This Is Us, because it's like, oh, that thing happened. Oh, we're going to 
multiply it by 10 the next episode, and you're going to cry that much Shane, harder. Shane, well, Shameless never made me cry, but Shameless can be some... Well, speaking Shameless of, got some tough episodes, and now with M.U. Rossum leaving, that's, now uh, there's no reason to watch that show, because Fiona Gallagher was the only reason to watch Shameless. the show. And now that she's going to... Well, I mean, the show's going to be over. And I think this past season was kind of dumb anyway. It, I, I had a big suspicion that this coming season would be the very last. I'd be very surprised if they brought it back for a full season. Well, Frank needs, I mean, by now, Frank should be dead. He should be dead. Considering that everything that he's put his liver through, and now he's had a liver transplant, and he's doing it all over again. Yeah. I'm, I'm stunned that he hasn't, like, his body hasn't started rejecting the liver, and he's not dead. Yeah. And then uh, one thing, you can uh, maybe comment more on this since you were, you know, a, a veteran so you had Liam Gallagher, who you know uses a fake ID to get into the military. No, and then, it wasn't. It wasn't Liam. It was. Uh, was it Liam? Yeah, it was Liam, the redhead. Or, no, that's he not was, Liam. Liam is the like genius smoking. That's Philip. That's Lip. Oh, that's Lip. What am I saying? So, he, but he used Lip's ID to get yeah. into the army. And then he steals a helicopter, and then he goes AWOL. Yeah. And then it's kind of, it seemed like that guy was just, just kind of <laughs> just kind of forgotten about. I was watching like the army that. just stopped looking for him. I was like, uh, what the hell? I was watching. And I was like, "That's a fe- like you're doing hard prison time, yes. buddy. Like that's a federal. They're not, gonna, they're not just gonna. <laughs> yeah. let, they're not just gonna let that go. No, they're gonna ju- be like, oh, okay, went, whatever. It's just one of those shows where so many things going on, and and to the like Emmy Rossi leaving is a big deal because I don't think William H Macy can carry that show by. Himself. I don't think any of them can. And no. why? I mean, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't watch it from a show perspective. You wouldn't want them to. No interest. Yeah, I think it's at a really good point now where it's just like let's just nail this last season. I haven't seen. Have are they going to come back and like write her out, or has there been any word on that? They got one more season left. I think it's supposed to start Their airing contract? next month. Okay. Yeah. So and I and I have no idea what happened with it. I don't know if they're going to maybe redo like the final episode yeah. and have everybody happy and going off on their own way. Right. Who knows? Right. It's kind of uh, like House of Cards right now. Well, I mean, House of Cards ended, and then Kevin Spacey touched somebody, and well, he did now, more than just that. Well, I know that, but. Say like they're gonna. They, I'm really interested to see how that here's works what, out here, for the next season. Here's what they ought to do. They all have the Gallagher's move in with the Connors, and then there you go. Dan Connor takes care of the Gallagher's. Ro- Robin Wright and um, just Robin Wright marries Dan Connor, and they <laughs> oh, take, wow. and they take and they take care of the Gallagher children. There, <laughs> South Side of Chicago. <laughs> there we go. It's the shameless house of the. It's the, the, the shameless house of Connors. It's the shameless house of cards. The shameless house of Connors. Shameless there we house go. of cards. We can oh we got to we got to put Connors in there. You can't put, you can't oh, put cards can't. in there. Okay. So it's the shameless house of Connors. Okay. There we go. I get behind that. Joining us on the phone right now is Adam Spencer from Saturdays Down South. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Spencer Four. Adam, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's it's college football season. It's, it's an exciting time for everybody for the first weekend of the year. And yesterday was our first real look at the Missouri Tigers offense under offensive coordinator uh, Derek Dooley. What were your first impressions? So I don't think that we saw everything that he has planned for the season, which is probably a good thing because it would have been scary like last year if he would have needed Drew Locke to stay in for the entire game. Um, but what we did see was a very interesting mix. It was uh, he got the running game going, which is important. He controlled the clock a little bit more. Drew Locke still got his stats. The receivers looked great, especially Emmanuel Hall and some of those freshmen. Uh, I was impressed. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, but there's no reason that this offense can't continue to improve, especially next week against Wyoming. 
Something I found that was really interesting, it was really nice to see yesterday, was the use of Demaria Crockett and Larry Roundtree. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what you saw out of those two guys and how they were able to get it going yesterday. Yeah, they're both really talented guys, so it makes sense to have both of them get some work. You have to have two running backs at least these days, just with the evolution of the position and it's never a bad thing to have too many guys in the backfield. And when you have guys like Larry and Demaria, then why not feed them the ball? I mean, when Demaria was healthy as a freshman, he had one of the best yards per carry average in the SEC. So give him the ball. He's looking like he did back in his freshman year. And, uh, you know, Larry was a freshman last year. So both guys both guys looked good. Both guys looked fresh, and I think that they're going to really like Dooley's offense. Let's talk about the other side of the ball. Last year's opponent was the Missouri State Bears, and the Missouri Tigers gave up 43 points. Yesterday's opponent was the University of Tennessee Martin Skyhawks, which seems kind of redundant. Is there a, is there a groundhawk or is there a waterhawk? But there's a skyhawk. It's like the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the Canadian Football League. There's not a tiger dog or a tiger mouse. It's but a mythical animal. I, I guess so. Thank you. <laughs> the liger. Uh, the, yes. the liger. Though, like I mean, a liger, liger would have made more sense right. than a tiger cat. <laughs> uh, but they only gave up 14 points to Tennessee Martin, so Barry Odom, I mean, I'm sure he would rather see a shutout, but only giving up 14 points to an FCS opponent as opposed to 43 the season before has to make you feel somewhat good, right? Yeah, definitely. It's better than giving up 43, like you said. Uh, Just, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done on that side of the ball. You're right. You know, you would have liked to see a shutout, but um, that was a solid performance all around. Uh, You you would also like to see more takeaways. That's the biggest thing that I that I got from the defensive effort yesterday. They had the one fumble, but the Skyhawks, not the Waterhawks or the Landhawks. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Sky, Thank you, yes. Yes, yes the Skyhawks, they basically just gave the ball to the defender. So, you know, what can you – it wasn't really a takeaway. It was more of a giveaway from – UT Martin. So I like that. I would like we to should see, start using would, a giveaway. The giveaway, yes, yeah, I like yeah. that. So I would like to see more opportunistic play from the defense, especially against the weaker opponents. You know, next week they have a Wyoming team that doesn't have Josh Allen anymore. So you'd like to see an interception. You'd like to see a couple more balls on the ground. You know, knocked free by the defenders. So we'll see what what we'll see what happens, but. Um, but yeah, overall, no complaints here. Uh, that was a that was a solid effort all around, and uh, yeah, I think it worked. It definitely did work. Um, something that also worked yesterday: the SEC. I think every team but Tennessee won yesterday. Correct. God yeah. forbid Tennessee L- loses on the opening weekend. LSU and Miami are tonight, so yeah, that's right. They have the potential to be the, the second. That's right. SEC team to lose. Very true. Um, what were your overall impressions of the SEC yesterday? Obviously, um, I was—I don't know about you, but I was watching Tua from Alabama just sling it all over the field yesterday, and then Saban give that um, what I'll describe as a horrendous post-game <laughs> interview. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I want to talk about it too, but uh, when you finish your question, we'll, there. we'll get to that for sure. Uh, what were your impressions of the SEC as a whole yesterday? It was a good day for the conference. Uh, you know, there was several cupcakes on the schedule, but that's to be expected from from week one. But the teams that did play tougher teams, you know, I thought Alabama played well. I thought, uh, you know, I, I 
thought Tennessee played, you know, fairly well once they got going. It wasn't a it wasn't a disaster of a first game for Jeremy Pruitt. Um, yeah, and then you know Auburn looked great. Uh, that was that was quite a game. You know the the Tigers defense really really uh, looked like one of the best units in the country. I've been taking some uh, I've been taking some flack from Auburn fans on Twitter because I we did a bold predictions article at SDS and mine was that Auburn wasn't going to win a single game away from Jordan Hare Stadium. Wow. Hottest so. take. That is a hot take. <laughs> it's a hot take coming yeah. from the guy who writes about the Southeastern Conference for a living. <laughs> well, when you look at their away schedule and neutral site, it was a very tough schedule. So uh, I just I just gave the Washington offense more credit than I guess it deserved. So, um, But credit to the Auburn defense. You know, they that was probably the best – individual unit performance that we saw from the sec all day yesterday aside from the the whole qb situation at alabama did we learn anything yesterday about the southeastern conference and are there other any storylines that we should be following moving forward uh just sticking on the quarterback thing i'll be interested to see how justin fields is used at georgia yeah he looked really good um my editor compared him to you know with a grain of salt he said he looked like cam newton as a freshman i was gonna say deshaun watson he looked really good yesterday yeah so yeah those are you know with the appropriate qualifiers those are good comparisons you know when you're in the same conversation as those guys you know that's going to be interesting to watch because you know does does kirby play fields in every game or does he try to limit him to four games to keep his red shirt i i don't know but it's tough That's when you got just, Jake Fromm slinging yeah, the ball too. Yeah, because Jake too. Fromm's a pretty good quarterback. He's, he's it's okay. Like he's, it's he's, like okay. he's a bum. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's led him to the national championship game last year, so you know he does. He hasn't done anything to lose the job, so it'll be just it'll just be interesting to see how Kirby balances that for the rest of the year. But before we move on to my intense hatred for Nick Saban, <laughs> I want to talk about. Uh, I want to stick with this Auburn Washington game. If you're uh, UW, I don't understand why you take that game. Why you take Auburn? It's a trap game. And in a neutral slot, and I'm putting neutral in quotation marks right. because the game was in Atlanta, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's just a hop, skip, and a jump from right. Auburn, Alabama, and you're coming all the way from Seattle, Washington, to play this game. Different which time is zone. Different time zone, and you, you mean you're going to be facing a hostile crowd. Oh, yeah. And if you're Washington, you've got your own playoff hopes and dreams, too. Why would you start off the season potentially 0-1, and now they are 0-1? If you're UW, I don't understand why you do that. That's just me. Yeah, I think that if I was them, I would have tried to schedule that game at least for Dallas or Houston. Uh, yeah, just get it away from Denver. Make it a real neutral right. site. There you sure. go. <laughs> just Kansas get it City, away something. From yeah, absolutely. Atlanta. That would, like even Charlotte would have been better for for Washington because yeah, like you said, Atlanta is not exactly a neutral site for Auburn, despite their recent struggles there. It, is there any, like, from a Washington standpoint, is it more or less like you look at that future schedule and, and you say, you know, because Washington's going to be very good in the Pac-12 this year, or Pac-10, whatever the hell it's called. Pac-12. Pac-12. Um, it's, they're going to be very good this year, but do you think from a Pac-12 standpoint, they look outside and say, okay, let's try to legitimate, you know, legitimize some of our, our teams here and show that, yes, we can contend with some of the national, you know, perennial contenders every year? Well, it depends on when the game was originally scheduled. I you know, these games sometimes go back, but yeah, I think you're probably right with that. You, you've got to, yeah, when you play in, you know, these 
weaker conferences than the SEC, you have to you have to try to do something to stick out on a on a national scale, and uh, that was a good chance. They didn't know that Auburn was going to be as good as Auburn is. I didn't know that Auburn was going to look as good as they did yesterday, but yeah, you got to try to do something. And like I said, that's not a that would have been a great game to schedule if they had if they had played it anywhere but Atlanta. But at least they did get one. Uh, they did get one concession in the contract, and that's that they got to play with the roof closed. There that you was, go. <laughs> they that was a big thing. That. Big thing for them. We'll play. We'll yeah. play in your home stadium. All but right. I swear to God, that roof better be closed. Those, those are some. Exactly. Those are some fantastic negotiating <laughs> skills by uh, by their AD. Uh, let, let's let's talk about Auburn's mortal enemy enemy in Alabama, and you know Alabama they they trounced Louisville fifty one fourteen. Louisville, an unranked Louisville team, but they're a program. They've yeah. had great teams in the past. Good Bobby, players. Good players. Bobby, uh, Bobby Petrino was a good coach. And then after the game is over, uh, Maria Taylor, Taylor, who is the sideline reporter for uh, ABC ESPN College Football. She replaced uh, Samantha Ponder yep. and uh, Aaron Andrews, who have held that job before. And she's a great reporter. And she asked Nick Saban, Alabama head coach Nick Saban, a very fair question about the two-quarterback system. And he was extraordinarily rude and ugly to her mm-hmm. for no reason whatsoever. And this is the reason why I cannot stand Nick Saban. He's a great, fa- he's a fantastic coach. I, I can't argue against that. I don't think he's a cheater or anything, but he is such a bully, ugly, evil person and just a curmudgeon. And I've never seen anybody so miserable at the pinnacle of success in my entire life than Nick Saban. And I think this is the reason why people hate Alabama. It's not because you win. It's because you're ugly when you do it. You're arrogant in in the winning. That too. Uh, uh, Adam, am I way off base here? Help me out. Well, first of all, I would compare Bill Belichick to that yes. pretty well. Too. That's a good yes. – and, and, and they're two friends. Everybody hates the Patriots. And they're friends too, so go figure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so with that whole situation, yeah, that was just completely uncalled for and just very – not a not a great look for Saban and but I saw on Twitter today one of the Alabama beat writers was saying something he's just like oh this is the comment that you want to latch on to like he's normally that's my thing. this isn't even this isn't even like one of the rudest things he said which he said is sort of a defense of Saban but when you think about it like when you have to come to somebody's defense and say well well he's usually a bigger jerk than this you know that's not exactly that's not exactly the best endorsement for him so so yeah like he's made a habit out of just getting angry with the media he uses it with his team to try to you know make it the us versus them mentality but which is laughable that's kind of hard to do against that's kind of hard to do with alabama nfl players on their roster yeah i mean come on that's that's (laughs) that's kind of be a hard sell it like even paul even paul feinbaum was going after yep. Nick Saban, and he's Tell, the king telling of how ridiculous he was. Bad interviews or being part of and if there's, if there's anybody who was a the bigger a bigger promoter than the of the SEC than Paul Feinbaum, find me one. Yeah, it's it it's just when somebody asks you a question like that, like you said, Maria's question was very fair. It wasn't leading at all. He could have answered and said, "What I learned about the quarterbacks is that we have two great quarterbacks. Both of them can." really help us this year and we'll try to get them both in positive situations. He could have just said it that way. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say anything disrespectful about no, either. Not of them. at all. It was and, the, it was the tone I think in which he struck because even the answer in itself, you know, 
I don't think it was overly, but the tone and the aggressiveness of and the, the look on his face too, look, right? Was, everything was, about was, it just was, made it was look very bad. dismissive. It was, it was. You would think his team lost, you know, fifty-one right. fourteen instead of the other way around. Right. Uh, Adam Spencer from from Saturday Sound Saturdays Down South on the phone with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Spencer Four. Adam was take a trip around the top twenty-five. Um, while I was watching the Notre Dame Michigan game last night, and I'm like, man, I don't know how much longer Michigan is going to put up with. <laughs> With uh, with Jim Harbaugh, I know that when they brought him in, they thought he was a savior, and they were terrified that he was going to go to the NFL. And now I kind of I have a feeling they they would you know pack his bags for him. What is your what was your biggest takeaway from yesterday's action? Shea Patterson, give him some time. He looked he made some good plays. He made some bad plays. It's just Michigan's offensive system is so weird. I don't know what Harbaugh's an offensive guy. He was a quarterback obviously and he's he's developed some great quarterbacks over the years but I just don't know what they're doing in those offensive rooms because Michigan's offense doesn't look like it has any sort of flow to it at all if you fix that I think you can Michigan's gonna be fine will they beat Ohio State this year I doubt it but Especially after so, how good Ohio State looked yesterday. Exactly. Ohio State <laughs> exactly. look, unfortunately looked really good. I was kind of hoping they would lose every game this yeah. year, the way they've mishandled the whole Urban Meyer situation, but that's that's for another podcast. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they have a, a hope and a prayer of beating Ohio State this year. Yeah, not this year. Uh, and depending on how Patterson develops, you know, maybe not next year either. But, you know, that's not necessarily – all Harbaugh's fought at this point. Yes, he's responsible for this offensive ineptitude, which is weird because he's an offensive guy, like like I said. But yeah, it, it, Michigan will be okay this year. They got a tough draw week one. It's just it, it all comes down to recruiting, and Harbaugh's going to need to get some better guys in there eventually because right now the guys that he's getting just aren't cutting it. And that's not to take anything away from Notre Dame because I think Notre Dame impressed me on several levels yesterday. Uh, Wimbush, I think, looked really, really good at points. The defense, um, not to take anything away from you know Michigan's offensive struggles, but Notre Dame's defense, I think, played really well yesterday too. Yeah, they looked like a potential contender. You know, when you have a schedule like Notre Dame's, if you, you know, we saw it last year when they were winning all their games, people had them in the playoff conversation, and it wasn't until they lost late in the season that they sort of fell out because with Notre Dame, the margin for error is so much smaller because you don't have a conference title game. So right. you basically have to win all your games, but yeah, they looked like they could win all their games yesterday. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see, but it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a fun year to watch Notre Dame for sure. The biggest upset yesterday, in my opinion, had to be Maryland over uh, the Texas Longhorns. <laughs> I understand Maryland was, you know, the coming off the, the emotion of the death of Jordan McNair, so they were kind of playing for their fallen teammate. I get that, but really, does Maryland should Maryland should not be beating Texas? Well, oh, I, I at, at, even, any, at any time, I, we're under this assumption that Texas should be good for they're, every I mean, year, well, and they, everyone they asks, be. like, te, te, is Texas back? You know, is, is Texas back? But I mean, they haven't had a solid quarterback in years. That Ellinger kid yesterday looked tragic. I I don't know. Sorry, I didn't mean it. Yeah, Adam, what, <laughs> no, what, Adam, what do you think? I just. With Texas, yeah, coming into the year, you know, you had one analyst pick Texas to be his national champion. I saw others pick Texas into the, to make it to the playoff, but the only thing that I saw with that, the only reasoning was that a lot of teams make a jump in year two with a new coach. We saw it with Kirby last year. 
second year at Georgia, he takes the program to the national championship game and almost wins it. But yeah, just, just because a coach is in a second year, that doesn't automatically make a team a playoff contender. Like you said, the quarterback play still needs to improve. Obviously when you give up that many points to Maryland, your defense needs to improve. I, yeah, that's, it was just the, it's not anything that Texas is necessarily doing wrong. We'll have to see, you know, where their schedule, where their record in, ends up whenever the season's all said and done. But there's just too many expectations on Texas. They were never going to be a playoff contender. So well, it's but, not necessarily that they failed at this point. It's just that expectations were too high. Well, sure, because it's Texas. I mean, right, exactly. Texas. I mean, the state of Texas cranks out more NFL players probably than almost any other any of the other states combined. Yeah. So you would expect them every year to be good. Like be if, good. if Texas is losing players, it's not because they are being out recruited. It's just that they don't. It's just simply from a lack of room that they go to Oklahoma because that was the thing when uh, Gary Pinkle was at Mizzou. Yeah. And Adam, you were there. You're a Mizzou alum, so you know what I'm talking about. That you Exactly. Know, Some of their best players came from Texas. Came from Texas. Like, and- yeah. If, if, if they can go to any of the Texas schools, they were going to Oklahoma, and if they weren't going to any of the Oklahoma schools, then somehow they would end up playing for Gary Pinkle at Mizzou. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's been – when the Tigers hit that lull there, I think that that was sort of what did it was they weren't recruiting Texas as well. Well, the thing with Texas, too, is like now they're losing. I mean, Texas A&M's always been there, but you're losing guys to, you know, TCU, Texas A&M. Uh, yeah. You know, Baylor's still there. You know, they're apparently mm-hmm. a university still in the state of Texas. But, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, they have, they have uh, well, A&M has Jimbo Fisher yeah, now. They're so not even keeping guys within the state. And that's, I think, really, I mean, it has been showing for years, but it, it continued to show yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a while before Texas is back. And I don't even think that they're going to be back next year. We'll see. Maybe two more years. Well, the this is one thing that the uh, the uh, boosters down in Austin have is they don't have a whole lot of patience. Not a lot of patience. So Tom <laughs> Herman. Not. So Tom Herman better get that thing turned around because if Texas starts losing to like A and M and SMU and TCU and some of those other Texas schools. It is not going to go well down there in cattle country. They get a lot of money to buy people out. Yes, they do. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of oil money. Lots of oil That's money. Love that true. oil. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for joining us this evening, and uh, look forward to having you again soon throughout the uh, college football season. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Thanks Adam. Man. That is Adam Spencer from Saturdays Down South. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Spencer 4 Joining us on the phone right now is legendary NFL journalist Howard Balzer. You can hear him on the NFL channel on the Hall of Fame show on Sirius XM. You can follow him on Twitter at HBalzer721. Howard, how are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good trying to keep my head above water with all these names going here and there and everywhere in the NFL. It's cut season. Cut season. Yeah. Always always it's just a crazy, crazy uh, weekend. I don't know. Everyone's probably saying this one's crazier than others, but... Who knows if that's the case or not? But, uh, certainly, a lot of a lot of things. But I, I will say this very quickly, and I hope you guys will never say it. And and it drives you know me. I love pet peeves. It drives me nuts when someone says these were the final cuts. Well, as we saw today, there's no such thing as final cuts. <laughs> it's not a word in the NFL. It's no, not, not at all. Uh, Howard, we've got so, we got so many transactions to go over, but let's let's go over the biggest one yesterday, and that was the trade of Khalil Mack from my uh, my Oakland Raiders, soon to be Las Vegas Raiders, to the Chicago Bears. Uh, it was Khalil Mack and a second round pick for 
uh, the 2019 first-round pick and sixth-round pick and the 2020 first-round pick and third-round pick from the Bears. What was your reaction when you heard that trade went down? I, I, wasn't, I wasn't shocked, but because of all the rumblings about it and the way it appeared that the Raiders really were not interested in paying him his going rate. By the way, you know the Raiders did uh, send a couple picks uh, to the Bears a second-round pick in 2020, and a a conditional fifth-round pick. But this flies in the face. Now, I know it's a new head coach there, but that shouldn't matter. It flies in the face of what your goal is as a team. And your goal is, if you can draft a first in in the first round, or any round, but certainly the first round, a player that is an iconic guy that lives up to all the expectations – then you do what you can to keep him. It's as simple as that. And here they are getting, you know, a couple number ones. Well, you know, this year they drafted Colton Miller in the first round. Does anybody think that Colton Miller is going to be a potential gold jacket in the NFL and be offensive player of the year? I doubt it. I couldn't even tell you who that was up until about 30 seconds ago. Yeah, we're talking about Khalil Mack who's a defensive player of the year. And so, and the, here's the crazy thing. I could almost understand it if the Raiders were still in Oakland fighting for their lives. Well, they are still, but, but fighting for their lives. Who knows what's going to happen with the stadium, blah, all this and all that. But they've got this sparkling new stadium being built in Las Vegas. They're going there in two years. Who knows? Maybe even next year. And, how do you trade a guy who, who who should be with your team for the rest of his career? The face but, of your organization. Exactly. You know, they chose to move in another direction. And, and, and then on top of that, lost in the shuffle somewhat, is they cut Martavis Bryant, yep. who everyone knew was a headache and had all kinds of issues in Pittsburgh. And they gave, a th- and they gave up a third-round pick for him and cut him. So I, I just wonder about the, you know, the ability of John Gruden really to have the say and to sit. Now, of course, Rob, you know, the GM McKenzie came out and said, "Well, this was a team decision. We just didn't want didn't want to go where he was going to go. Uh, finance who wanted to be uh, financially. Well, what did you think was going to happen? You know, criticize the Rams all you want, and they, you know, they paid the money for Aaron Donald, who is one of those." You know, you know, team-changing defensive players. That's what Khalil Mack is, and obviously the Bears thought he was worth it because they didn't take they didn't take him long to agree uh, to that new contract. So very, very strange uh, by the Raiders, and you know they have one of the oldest rosters, if not the oldest roster in the NFL right now, and spent something like fifty-five million dollars in the off-season on a lot of questionable signings. So. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I just don't see how you can you can in any way justify doing that. It's hard to justify it from from Oakland's standpoint. Uh, on the flip side of that, Chicago. You look at Chicago's roster. You look at you know kind of where they're they are within the NFC and and within their own you know division. Did it make sense to go out and get a guy, even though knowing that hey? We're probably not going to be contenders this year. You know, we might have a shot, an outside shot. But from my viewpoint, 
I don't think the Chicago Bears are, you know, vaulted in into that conversation of, you know, best team in the NFC now that they've got Khalil Mack. It's not like he was that one missing piece. They still got have a lot of holes to feel, fill. And now they seemingly, you know, mortgaged, you know, their first round future for the next couple of years. And paid and paid Mac a lot and of money. Paid a lot of money. Well, you know, I think the thing that to me the way to look at it is you're not looking at it for this year. Uh, you're go- you're going to have him for six years. Yep. And they they feel they're they're building something. And let's remember too, in terms of the money, they've got Mitchell Trubisky under contract at, at his rookie deal for at least the next two years, which is that you can't even renegotiate until after a guy has played three seasons. And so they obviously believe he's going to you know do some excellent things. Uh, with that offense, and and so you're just trying to build a complete roster. And when you can get a a pass rusher like that to add to your defense, then that that's that's the way uh, that they looked at it. And and so you know I I, I don't have any problem uh, with you know with what they did in terms of mortgaging the future. In a sense, what they did was they gave up an extra first round pick. I mean, w- would they get? Well, would they get someone the equal of Khalil Mack in the first round next year That's or the point. year after? Yeah, who knows? Maybe, but there's never a guarantee. Here's a guy who's a proven a proven commodity, not only on the field but off the field, and he's been you know he's been durable and all the things that that you want in a player. So I think I think that that was a, a tremendous move. Uh, by the Bears. It was kind of like a baseball move to where, you know, in present day and age, like prospects, you know, may be overvalued a little bit and the draft and maybe people are looking at the NFL draft the same way as opposed to, you know, draft drafting a guy to. first round, you know, and developing him. Let's take a surefire thing. I mean, you said it, you know, right. best. Cleo Mack is, you know what you're getting out of him as opposed to, you know, first round pick you know, you might get slotted with some guy you may not necessarily love, but you know that you love Cleo Mack. No, exactly right, and and that's and that's definitely you know the way you know that they've looked at it, and especially too in that defense. You know, let's remember this is a guy that you know the Bears are calling him a linebacker. You know, the Raiders call him a defensive end, and and that, but he was voted a lot of times in the All Pro voting. He would he would he would get votes as a defensive end and a linebacker, and and that's the type of versatile player that he is. The Bears are a three four defense, but that doesn't mean he's going to be only. Uh, playing standing up. I mean, you go to four three perhaps on passing situations, and he puts his hand in the dirt. So they they he gives them a tremendous amount of versatility in what they can do on defense. And then you couple that with Leonard Floyd, and all of a sudden, then you know a, a team a team can't get a team can't can't load up on offense in terms of trying to stop one guy. And so now you could have you could have both those guys. Uh, coming off the edge, obviously Floyd has to has to stay health, health, uh, healthy, but he's he's a young player too. And then they drafted Roquan Smith this year to man the inside. And this this is and, and again this was a pretty good de- this is a, this is a pretty good defense last year. And now it has the ability. I'm not going to say it's going to be one of the best in the league, but they are certainly moving in that direction. I think they're trying to bring back like vintage Bears defense. Like, I mean, that's what the Bears the are known for. The like Ditka days, tough defense, and yeah. the running game. Well, like. it won't be the same as that because, of course, those were the you know the classic four threes uh, with the classic middle linebackers like Butkus, like Singletary. You know, they don't have they don't have that now in one guy. Although you know Smith can be a heck of a player, but you know again, Fangio has a lot of different players 
you know, to go around with. And hey, I'm, let's let's not forget Brian Erlacher, right. who who maybe a notch below Butkus and Singletary, but goes into the Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. But you know, again, they're they're putting together you know a total you know a total package what they feel uh, on defense. And you know, again, that division. You know, Minnesota's real good, certainly. You know, Green Bay, you wonder about. Obviously, they have Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, the defense is suspect. You know, Detroit's competitive. That that right now could be one of the more competitive top-to-bottom divisions I agree. In, I do. in the NFL. I agree. Howard Balzer joining us on the phone right now. You can follow him on Twitter at hbalzer721. Howard, you had the uh, the Cleo Mack contract, which was six years, um, $141 million. $90 million guaranteed and a $60 million signing bonus. Then you had the Aaron Donald contract the day before, which was $135 million and $87 million guaranteed. You had the Aaron Rodgers contract, I think, the day or two days before that. I forgot how much money that he had guaranteed. In all your years of covering the NFL, did you ever think you would have reached a day where you were seeing all of this guaranteed money for people playing such a violent sport? <laughs> not uh, Certainly not 20, 30 years ago, obviously. But we've seen this trend now, you know, year after year, as more money. And that's the interesting thing about it. According to some out there, this league is, you know, is in trouble. It's failing. You know, ten, you know, TV ratings are somewhat down. Sure. But the re- but the reality is they are flush with money, and and that's that's essentially you know the way it is. You know, throw in Odell Beckham Jr. Yep. You know, who signed a new contract in the last week, and so the the top players are going to command. You know the top money, and so you know Rogers is is the highest paid quarterback now until the next great quarterback signs. So that's that's just the way it is. But no, I n- never would have thought it would have gotten to this level of guaranteed money. But the other thing that, to look at in these, and granted, there's always a, there's always some of a risk with injuries and all those things. But a lot of the guarantees that are in these deals are in guaranteed salaries. And so as long as, as long as so what's the difference if you're paying a guy 12 million and it's not guaranteed or is guaranteed if he's still playing at a high level he's going to get that money now are you taking a little risk that 3 4 years down the road they won't be playing at that level perhaps but when you're when you're dealing with players of this magnitude the odds of that happening i think are pretty small unless there's an injury that complicates it Howard what's the biggest question you have going into this 2018 season Wow, the pretty broad question. <laughs> I'm sorry. What, what what was that? I said what, what he said. It was, that was a pretty broad question. I go. What what, what is your biggest question yeah. going into this 2018 season? Yeah, I, there, there's there's a lot of questions, and I mean you you could that, that's a thing that's it's always about the NFL. You, we, you could spend hours and go down every, every team and say the big questions on those teams. I, I, I guess probably um, one one of the bigger questions is. The, the, the rookie quarterbacks, uh, who's going to play first? I don't think we've, we haven't seen an announcement yet uh, from the Jets, but it certainly looks like with the trade of Teddy Bridgewater that it's trending towards uh, starting Sam Darnold. So that'll probably answer that question uh, relatively quickly. I Probably the, big, the biggest, I'm sorry, probably, probably the biggest question is, is the Eagles with, 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 with their quarterback situation. And, you know, Doug Peterson really lost it uh, on this past Sunday in an interview with the media when they were, you know, there was a report that Carson, uh, Nick Foles is going to start the opener, and it came from the national media. And so when 
Peterson was asked about it, uh, he like kind of snapped at the local guys and, you know, and, and said, don't put, you know, you're putting words in my mouth. And so I, I give credit to some of the media guys in Philly. They said, well, hold it. Which one of us put words in your mouth? And then he said, he says, well, and he says, what, are you lumping us all together? And Peterson had to admit uh, that he was. But in any event, well, it has been kind of start. it has been kind of open season on media members. It's a rough week. Uh, it's a rough yeah, week yeah, it, for those yeah, interviewing nation, head nationwide. football coaches. Well, just just media members in general, and talking about quarterbacks or anything. Yeah, and Nick Saban, and you know, and all that. But it, it certainly looks like right now, with the Eagles getting ready to play on Thursday and not Sunday, and Carson Wentz has still not been cleared to uh, to you know for contact in the play. And they really only have a couple days of practice. You know, Monday, they only have Monday and Tuesday. So it certainly looks like Nick Foles is going to play. So that'll be the biggest question of all. Now, however months it's been since the Super Bowl, can he play any, a, anywhere close to as high a level as he did in that game as the Eagles defend their, uh, their Super Bowl title against the Falcons? I think it's going to be interesting to see what goes on with the Rams in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm not, you know, trying to bring them up so we, you and I could can hate on them or, or any sense, but you know, they brought in a lot of, you know, a, a, a fun mix of people. I guess you could say a lot of personality. <laughs> personality. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. And Indomitian That's an Sue. understatement. <laughs> yeah. And Indomitian Sue and Akeem Talib and Marcus Peters. And I mean, everybody knows that. Uh, Wade Phillips can coach defense. He's he's great at that. He may not be he may be an okay head coach, but he's a great defensive coordinator. And they signed Todd Gurley long term. They signed Brandon Cooks to a long term contract. Their offensive line makes me nervous with Andrew Whitworth being thirty seven and Sullivan being thirty three. And we saw all kinds of the the injury problems that Roger Saffold had when he was here in St. Louis. What is going to be your expectations for the Rams? Well, their their expectations from a lot of people are very high. Um, I, they're, st- they're still the team to beat. Uh, they're clearly the team to beat in that division. But the question is, will they, you know, have enough to, to get a buy, uh, which, which you'd like to have going into the postseason. And I'm with you a little bit on the offensive line. Jamon Brown is suspended for the first two games. This was a team, by the way, that didn't have any of its starting offensive linemen miss a start last season. Well, now already they start the year with Jamon Brown uh, out for the first two games. Someone named Austin Blythe is going to be the starter. You mentioned Whitworth. John Sullivan is getting up there in years at center. So that could be a question. But defensively, I don't know where, and this is, this is the thing that they really didn't address in the entire offseason, was, was they had a pass rush. And maybe, maybe they think that just because they have Sue and Donald that all of a sudden that's just going to, really get a pass rush. We know Donald can rush the passer, but they, they're, they're not really good at the linebacker position in that 3-4 defense. So it's going to be very intriguing to see how Wade Phillips, as you mentioned, plays with the pieces to see if they can you know, get, get, some, you know, get some rush from the edge from those outside linebackers because they're two outside linebackers from last year. I believe the number, I think they had 12 and a half sacks combined, not a huge number, maybe a few more, not a huge number, but that's still a good number of sacks from Robert Quinn and Connor Barwin, and they're both gone. So they're counting on some young guys coming through, and that could be the big question for them, whether that'll be good, good enough. And then, you know, we also know teams have had the offseason to study that 
you know, that offense and, you know, see if they can devise ways uh, to stop it. So they're going to be an intriguing team to watch, certainly. Keeping with the Rams and kind of moving it back here to St. Louis H, what's going on with the lawsuit? I haven't heard a whole lot about it. I wonder if you had any, any insight well, as to what was well, going on. Last with I heard that Stan tried to get it to go to arbitration, and that, right, has, and that has been thrown out. So he's got to go to yes. court. Oh, that's, that's awesome. right. That, 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 that occurred. You know, and the, the NFL is so arrogant about everything, as we know. What? And, and yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Shock, you know. Shocking. <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah. And, and, of course, we saw just, you know, last week that, you know, where they're, they're thinking, oh, we're going to get this Colin Kaepernick, you know, you know, grievance dismissed. And that didn't happen. Well, I had, I had a very quick conversation uh, with Roger Goodell in the Hall of Fame weekend. And I said, and he says, how's things going? I said, well, you know, it's been, it's been tough without a team and the, and the way that all went down. And, and I said, I said, the le- you know, at least you guys could have done was at least, if you wanted to have Cronky in Los Angeles, at least find a way to replace, you know, place a team in a city that definitely supported them, you know, and especially with this lawsuit, that would be a great settlement, wouldn't it? You know, give a team to St. Louis. Absolutely, you know, we've talked about that on the show before, H, saying yeah, that you know, that, you know, that the that they should at least ask for two franchises and hope to get one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But you know what his answer was? Let's hear it. His answer was that lawsuit's going nowhere. Oh, wow! Well, what an there, arrogant ass. That, yeah, there's there's that arrogance, and so you know we we'll, we'll see, and and then of course that was before the that was before the decision to uh, not have it go to arbitration. So, you know, they're trying all kinds of things, but as I've said from day one, and a lot of people disagreed with me, so I've said from day one, I, I think St. Louis has a compelling case for the fraud and the lies and all that went down in that franchise move. And the one thing that the NFL, you know, that he can say that all he wants, but there's one thing that I don't believe the NFL wants. They don't want this going to discovery. Oh, God, no. No. And and all and, and the stuff that r- truly went on becomes more public than just me yelling about it. You know that's <laughs> you know that that that's one thing that you know I don't think they want. You know, remember the previous thing that got you know they they were trying to get it so all the teams, uh, individual teams, didn't shouldn't be a part of it, and the judge threw that one out also. So we'll we'll see where it goes from here, how long it takes, but you know the the more it goes on, I think. You know, the more the NFL could potentially be uh, be in a tough spot. Do you know how much is owed on the dome? You know, I knew it at one point. Isn't it like I, six? I, isn't it like sixteen million? Isn't it around that dollar amount? What did you say? Sixty? Sixteen? Oh no! Well, sixteen is what I think it was more than that. Um, I know that sixteen, seventeen, in that vicinity is what the city pay. You know, spent. In, in everything with the new stadium and all the things that had to be done to get that going. And I'm, I'm, I'm believing that they had payments on the dome until somewhere around 2021. And so that would be, you know, only three, three more years. So it, it might not be more, you know, in the, I'm trying to remember this. It, it might be more than 16 because the city was putting in a certain amount, the county uh, was putting in a certain amount. So it, it, it might be more in the you know the twenty to thirty range. Okay, but it, it, it's not. I don't. Th- I don't. Th- I'm pretty. I'm fairly certain it's not like a crazy ridiculous number. If I had to put money on it, 
I have a feeling that the NFL is going to come to St. The city of St. Louis with this offer. Look, we'll pay off the dome and we'll pay off the expenses. I'll, I'll call them the peacock expenses, the expenses of like trying to keep the Rams in St. Louis. And if, the, if they come to the city with that offer, the city should reject it. They should reject it. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, no, I agree with that. And even if they would offer back pay for the, yeah. know, for the two or three years where, you know, since, since this is, you know, retroactive to when the Rams moves, you know, for the dome. No, I, I agree with you because let's just say that's, I don't know, let's just say it's 30 million, 40, whatever it is. And you add that to the 16, you know, so we're, so we're talking a settlement of 50 million. That's They're, nothing. They'd be crazy to do it. Cause if, if this would go to court now, the, the one aspect of it that you always have to though, keep in mind, if it would actually go to court in the NFL lost, and then remember that would be antitrust. So as, as far as I understand it, so that means any damage award would be tri- tripled, but the, 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 the thing is, if, it, if that happened, the NFL would probably then appeal. Which would and take tr- an X amount of years. <laughs> well, yeah, that would take an X amount of years. And it would, you know, they'd probably be liable if they lost for, for the uh, St. Louis attorney's fees. But like you said, that would be, you know, more years that this would go on and on. And likely, I would guess that once you appeal it, it wouldn't be heard in St. Louis. And so that would be what the NFL would be banking on is, is they're not going to get judges and juries uh, that are, you know, that are, that they would feel obviously are biased. Just tell them to move the Jaguars here already. <laughs> yeah. Just get a, get, I mean, get shot on the phone. Yeah. Get it, get it done. You know, Shad wants to be here. The, the, uh, the city of Jacksonville really doesn't give a damn about the NFL. All they really care about is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party when Florida and Georgia play in Jacksonville. You know, it's like they don't care. Just bring the Jaguars here already make everybody happy. Come on, H. Let's lead the way. Well, there's like zero justification. I, I think the, no matter how much money that the city of St. Louis ends up winning, do you really feel like they win at the end of the day? Because for an entire franchise or entire like fan right. base, you don't have a team anymore. Yeah. You know, it's not like and you they're would, never coming back. You and I are not going to see that money. No, you know, exactly. the city the city will, but I don't feel at the end of the day like we we really win as Absol- much as I, we may stick it to Cranky, you know, we're never gonna truly win. You're one hundred percent correct. No, that's in, and that wouldn't even really be stuck to him as much you know, he would be liable for a portion of it. Uh, just like every other owner, right? And 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 when you think of, the, I mean, think of that. If, if there's a settlement of fifty, sixty, eighty million, whatever it is, so what's that? Two to three million a team, right? Really? That that's pocket change. That's yeah. nothing. nothing. They're still sleeping at night. They pay the punter. <laughs> they, they, they pay the punter that much, I mean, right? I mean, come on, <laughs> yeah. Howard, uh, I'm so thankful to hear you again. I know that you've you've covered. Super Bowls and the Hall of Fame and everything else, but I bet you the one thing people ask you about the most is what it was like to be the last guest ever on that 590 show. Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, no question. <laughs> no, no question about it. That, hands that down. Absolutely. Yeah, hands down. The top of the list. Howard, thank you so much for joining us this evening, and we look forward to having you on again throughout the 2018 NFL season. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, Thanks Howard. Take care. That is the great Howard Balzer. You can follow him on Twitter at hbalzer721. I had the pleasure of doing a pre, uh, pregame show with Howard the last year that the Rams were in St. Louis, and that is something that I will cherish for the rest of my life because he is just an encyclopedia of NFL knowledge. And it's like it's all in the head, too. Right. Like, he mean, all off the cuff. All off the cuff. It's amazing the amount of knowledge that he, owe, that he knows. So H and I did uh, journalism together up this year up in Minneapolis at Super Bowl okay. 51. Okay, yeah. So Roderick is up there, but Roderick is off doing something. I think he had he was off with Road Warrior Animal, probably taking, some wrestling thing. Yeah, yeah. Taking, taking some guy down. Which, in the by the way, lot. 
Road Warrior Animal was the absolute hit of Radio Row. Oh, I believe 100%. it. One hundred percent. Yeah, it was, no I, doubt. I mean, they're like, "Are you here with the Animal?" I'm like, "Yeah." Like, like we want him. We want him for like a half an hour. We have him. I'm like, yeah, sure, sure, whatever. So H didn't have a notepad. He goes, "Oh, just damn NFL." They used to give us like a nice briefcase full of like notepads and pens and all kinds of stuff. So he goes down to like some lady's hobby shop and buys a notepad that like you would put on, the, on your refrigerator, and that's what he's taking notes with during the interview. That's funny. With the, with, I think we're talking to Jack Youngblood. So. That that sounds like Howard. Oh, he's, it was he's a, man, he's a man of action. Great story. He, he is. He is a man of action. And like I said, he would he would walk in on Sunday mornings and he'd have on like the, if the Rams were playing, then then Howard would be I wouldn't say dressed up, but he had on like you know nice clothes, and he'd walk in with a briefcase and open the briefcase and he's piling out all the notes of information that he has and it's just amazing the amount of football knowledge that guy has and the stuff that he's seen too oh the, yeah you know, he's been Super a part Bowls of some really and, and really the, big moments the hall of fame and covered, everything else he's covered like he's covered like 30 super bowls at this point God. and i wonder if he still has I, I should we should have asked him i wonder if he still has his baseball hall of fame vote too because there are like two people in the United States who have a vote for the NF, for the football hall of fame and, and the, the baseball. baseball hall of fame yep. and both of them are in st louis Howard Balzer and Bernie Micklitz at the time were the only two. I don't know if they both still have both. I don't think Bernie has his baseball vote anymore. Do you, think he, do you think he finally gave it away? I'd be surprised if, if he had a... I, I wouldn't would they say, take I it away th- from him since he's, say, since he's not a columnist I, anymore? I would say, I don't think... Well, I mean, but he still, writes, he's writes for the, he still writes for the yeah. Athletic and he writes for the... Um, for 101sports.com. It's not his primary job, though. No, it's not, I but I mean... he technically has a... Uh, prime, he's got like five or six things going at one time. Sure, but I mean, I, 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 I still I think he ha- yeah. I still think he has it. I would be surprised if he saw the the football the, the one, NFL with, one with the NFL one being me, gone. Yeah. But I mean, he still covers Mizzou and writes about Mizzou. I would imagine, maybe yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he'll do it for this upcoming basketball season or not. We'll find out. Um, but I'm just so thankful that football's back. It's it's a. We're We've recording. About, we're recording this on the Sunday right. before. This is the last Sunday Labor, that we're going to record. This is the last Sunday until like next year. Until next year, it's until, a bittersweet this is, this moment. This is the last NFL Sunday until like February, and it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful. I thing. I know a lot of you hate the NFL because the NFL left us, and you know the players kneeling during the national anthem. So you've given up on the NFL. If you hate the NFL, then you're probably going to hate the next. You know, couple of dozen podcast episodes right. that we're going to have. I'm going to find you guys a new board op. Because we're, <laughs> we're going to be talking a lot about the National Football League. Love that football. Love that football. Special thanks to Adam Spencer from Saturdays Down South. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Spencer 4 And to Howard Balzer from the NFL channel on Sirius XM, the Hall of Fame show. You can follow him on Twitter at HBalzer721. Everybody, have a great day. We'll see you on the other side.